0: This is Inspiring Women, and I'm Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Carolyn Sterich. She is the CEO of Flatiron Health, and actually, we've got sort of a common background here. Brown University, Kellogg School of Management, some you know interesting work. However, years before um, Carolyn was after me, um, but she has many years in consulting, Boston Consulting Group, and she's been the CEO of Flatiron for the past year plus, two years actually. And so, Carolyn, thank you so much for being on Inspiring Women.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited for this conversation and a big fan of what you're doing. Thank
0: you very much. Well, we are always showcasing incredible women on Inspiring Women. And the point is about, you know, the path to leadership and not just what you're doing, but also how you got there. So why don't we start with that, Caroline, give us a little bit of the bio sketch. How did you get to be CEO of Iron Health?
1: So I actually joined Flatiron uh, just over seven years ago now uh, as one of the earlier members of the leadership team and uh, have been kind of through the the journey of both an acquisition and then uh, stepped into the CEO role, succeeding our two co-founders when they transitioned on. Uh, Prior to Flatiron, I've spent most of my career in, in enterprise technology. I did some strategy consulting, so this was a really intentional choice for me to to uh, try to think about how to blend my background in technology and data and apply it to really important healthcare problems uh, in, in the cancer space. Um, let's see, well, I'm, I'm born in the Bay Area. I went to high school and, and college. We share the Brown Connection on the, on the East Coast. I've lived in six different cities since then. I love adventure and trying new things. Um, Interestingly, I was an English and economics major at at college, but I've always been fascinated by technology and science. And um, I think one of the driving forces in my life is I'm just deeply curious. And so I have found myself throughout my career drawn to roles that um, where where I see an opportunity for, for data and technology to really transform how we experience the world and 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 how we can make that experience better
0: um, well go I want to talk about, you know obviously what you're doing at Flatiron, but let's talk about that sort of you know professional journey. So as an economics and English major, that doesn't necessarily translate to science and data and innovation and technology. Um, but that's where you are. Did you think about when you were growing up, did you think about that you would be a CEO someday? Was that the um, sort of vision that you had of your professional grown-up self or or not?
1: Definitely not. Uh, I think it's actually funny. They asked this question on like password settings. Sometimes, what did you want to be when you're a kid? And my mom always reminds me that I said, I wanted to be a judge. And I don't know where that came from, a sense <laughs> of like understanding data and fairness or equity, but you Or know, maybe just holding the gavel. <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe there was a latent sense of wanting to be in charge. Um, but you know, as I, as I got further into my career, I think I, I learned that what I loved was working with people and, and feeling like I could have a real impact and solve problems that mattered. And so that led me down, um, a path of, of taking on increasing roles of responsibility in organizations. And it was about building teams and setting a strategy. And, and so I never really had, you know, I kind of always thought that, uh, my end goal was getting to run a business that I felt, um, where I felt I got to work with incredible people and solve real problems that mattered. And each step of the way, I, I've kind of taken on greater responsibility and it's been you know bigger scope and bigger scale. And, and that really culminated in my time at Flatiron and, and the opportunity to step into the CEO role here. Well, let's talk about FlatIron. So
0: certainly, you know, in the world of healthcare and tech and data and innovation, FlatIron certainly has a storied um background in terms of being an oncology EHR type of company and then a 2 billion dollar sale to Roche. And so now you are leading that incredible organization. So let's talk about it. So, you know, what do you do day-to-day at FlatIron as CEO? And how is it being a very important data organization within a larger, um, a larger
1: scale global organization? Absolutely. So, so maybe starting with Flatiron, uh, we are a health tech company. Our mission, since we were founded in in 2011, has been to improve and extend lives by learning from the experience of every person with cancer. Um, and so we, we tackle that challenge uh, using machine learning and real world evidence to, to really start to expand the possibilities for what we can learn about what drugs make sense in what settings, how we can better power clinical trials and understanding, uh, and how we can use data for, for good to really reimagine the infrastructure of cancer care. Um, and so that's really that's really been our guiding focus at Flatiron today as as CEO, I think when I when I step back, my job is is really split in probably you know no one day looks the same but split in four different ways. It's <laughs> how do I uh, how do I set the vision and strategy and sure sh- and ensure that we have a really clear sense of the path forward and the you know most important ways that we can achieve that mission that I just talked about? How do we you know set the right goals with the right objectives so that we are, um ruthlessly focused on driving progress especially mm-hmm. in this environment number 2 how do we make sure we have the right people on the team the right leadership the right collaboration um how do we ensure that we have the right systems and process to enable people to do their best work so that we can we can live up to that potential that that I certainly see and then lastly i think it's the intangible pieces it's the it's the culture it's it's how do we kind of roll how do i help infuse the values that are important to creating a workplace that I think will enable us to have maximum impact for, for all of our customers and for cancer patients around the world.
0: Well, you sound like a real CEO focused on those you know, four yeah. core areas of vision and strategy, as well as execution, process, and people. And that's clearly Um, important, but you're in a pretty special place. I mean, a place of, you know, we need innovation in cancer care. The breakthroughs are, they are apparent in terms of what could be, yet all of us have experienced cancer in some way, whether, you know, personally or through a family member. So let's talk about, you know, some of the breakthroughs. So since you've been CEO for over two years now, what have you done? And I know that you spent a lot of time in the international space. So this is not just a company focused on cancer and cancer care um, in the United States. So what are the big breakthroughs? What are the things that you're excited about in terms of what you're doing at Flatiron?
1: Yeah. so so I stepped into the CEO role uh, just over two years ago now and and it's been a real period of change for us, I would say. Um, you know, we were we were uh, in the in the throes of the pandemic. We were three years out from uh, being acquired. We have had a lot of, you know, very, uh, both anticipated and, and natural kind of leadership transition. And so it's been a period of really resetting um, how we think long-term, resetting like what the next chapter can be and, and and you know, what our true long-term ambitions are. And so I think, you know, one of the biggest breakthroughs is just, you know, building and, and resetting our leadership team, you know, reestablishing that kind of long-term vision for who we want to be. Um, And when I think about like what that means for us specifically, so um, uh, a couple of, uh, a couple of things, we're really expanding our focus from what was historically learning from real world data, learning from kind of retrospective experience of routine care to thinking about how we can help play a role in generating the evidence required to, to understand um, and, and advance the best medicines in the right settings. And so, You know, a year ago, we acquired a company that uh, helps with all of the data management in clinical trials, and we're really focused on thinking about how we can make evidence generation in clinical trials more efficient, more uh, representative of the patients who are going to benefit from those medicines, and and less of a burden on sponsors and sites and patients. Uh, As you said, we're, we're really focused on our international expansion. So we're operating now in the UK, Germany, and Japan. We... I've announced an initial partnership with the National Cancer Center Hospital East in Japan last year. We have several more announcements coming up in the next few weeks in Europe and we're really on track to deliver our first data sets to to pharma customers this year internationally. And I think that's really important because you know we we often see drugs that are approved here in the US that just aren't available to patients around the world. The standard of care looks incredibly different and I think we got to learn faster and smarter how to build the case uh, that to make those drugs kind of available um, wherever patients might benefit. Well, congratulations
0: on those expansions and those announcements. I want to um a- ask you about so, you know this stuff is complicated. Okay, we all just watched you know pair therapeutics, this very exciting company with you know real world evidence and trying to bring data at the forefront um, of delivery, but yet it didn't work. It didn't you know for, and that's a that's a different space, but somewhat similar um to to Flatiron. Flatiron is working, so. What what are some of the secrets about that in terms of taking these complex systems bringing them into technology and then bringing whether it's real world evidence or data you know to the point of care and then also accelerating drug discovery or whatever might be needed for improvements and or advancements in cancer yeah
1: I mean, healthcare is a really challenging space to operate in. And I say that as someone who came, you know, from a background in technology companies that grew up in the, in the Silicon Valley during the first tech bubble was when I entered the workforce and, you know, the combination of regulation incentives, um, the, you know, the, the nuance and, and interpretation of evidence in, in truly understanding, um, Equity and and bias in this in this system. It's, it's just really complex. So I don't think there's a single silver bullet, if you will. Um, I think to, to your question, what I, I think uh, we're really excited about is the idea that we can do more and learn faster when we collaborate and bring stakeholders across the ecosystem together. To think about how we solve these problems in an integrated and a cohesive way. And we're seeing that happening in big ways in the U.S. with the evolution of value-based care and, you know, there's a new, CMS has a new uh, oncology payment model that's coming out that will drive, and each one of these has driven innovation. Um, We're seeing this in the public-private collaboration with uh, regulatory bodies where we think about how do we work with the FDA here in the US, how do we work with NICE and in terms of, you know, reimbursement in in Europe to, to jointly come together and think about all sides of how we advance what is truly most important, which is outcomes for patients. Well, I want to
0: talk about the patient side of things, but in terms of some of these larger programs, the cancer moonshot is out there and this is sort of, you know, it was announced years ago. It has some new life under this current administration. You know, it, should we be hopeful is the cancer moonshot going to happen? How do you think about that from a Flatiron perspective?
1: Yeah, I'm really optimistic, honestly. I think, um, you know these things have a way of taking longer than we would all like and they play out over decades not years but i think we're seeing really increasing momentum and recognition that the current system is just not sustainable and and things need to change where we are is not acceptable for patients the cost of the system is not sustainable for society and and quite honestly the technology the the tools that we have available to us now are are know so much more advanced than they were. We we can't not take advantage of the evolution in, in AI and large language models and ML and and the the ability to make better decisions across the way. So so I'm really optimistic. On the Cancer Moonshot, I just think it's a great rally cry to help bring all these stakeholder groups together. And you know we were we were part of the early announcement. We are very excited to support the progress that's happening and You know, what I what I love about that is the rally cry to really focus all of our attention on reducing the cancer death rate by 50 percent over the next 25 years. I think we can't talk about that enough. We can't give it enough visibility. And this kind of a structure will help bring um, bring together and and really um, shine a spotlight on the really important work that needs to happen across all sectors. Well, I think that your
0: comments about sort of, you know, multiple stakeholders and collaboration, those are critical. And that includes sort of, you know, with competition as well as customers um, that you're talking about. So that's a big deal. And I really appreciate you saying that, but I'm also glad that you mentioned equity. Some of these advances in innovation really come down to um, being fantastic advances for people who can have, but not all people who have not. So how are you thinking about that in terms of innovation um, in cancer and ensuring that there's both access and affordability for all people?
1: People with cancer. Yeah, so important. I mean, I think it it's one of the really foundational elements is the evidence that we're looking at and how we interpret that evidence. You think about the legacy clinical trial system, there are very unique things that we can only learn from a randomized clinical trial. And yet the reality is we are not enrolling patients in those trials that are representative of patients who are going to ultimately benefit from those treatments. The patients that enroll are, Tend to be wealthier, healthier, whiter, um, you know, more educated and uh, that just is not a sustainable model. So I think first and foremost, we have a real opportunity to learn from more representative evidence when we think about how to how to uh, how to bring real-world data into the mix and how that can both supplement and complement the work that happens. How do you do
0: it? How do you do it? How, how are you approaching that at Flatiron so that you can get the more representative um, data samples from clinical trials, bring people into those studies so it's not just all white, all male,
1: whatever it might be? So there's there's two real ways. First is the foundation of Flatiron's you know, history, which is learning from real-world data. And Mm -hmm. especially with the advances in AI and ML, we can now learn from experiences across all patients. Once those drugs are approved and understand efficacy in the real world, comparative effectiveness, understand where disparities exist, study those those, uh, dynamics and think about how we create the right interventions. And then on the trial side, we also just need to do better in how we enroll patients, where we find them, how we design trials to make sure that's no longer the case. And so one of the the places that we're most focused on is building technology that can reduce the burden for sites and sponsors and bringing trials to where patients are. Right, right. now, most trials are enrolled in academic medical centers and in that are hard to get to and not accessible for patients. And, and so we work with a lot of community sites uh, that are close to home that are accessible. And we want to make the trials that are are available, available as standard of care to anyone, really integrating research and care into one common experience.
0: Well, Carolyn, I just hope that you are successful at all that. And I know that before you became CEO, you were responsible for the community network at Flatiron. So understanding not just the academic settings of delivery of excellent care, but also other places where cancer care is delivered. So again, fingers crossed that you make all the advances that you're talking about. They can't come soon enough. I want to come back to you. I'm sorry I spent so much time on that, but it's such an important um, space. So, so you've been CEO now for over two years. And um, what's surprised you? What's been easier than you thought it ha- um might have been? What has been harder than you might have thought it had been?
1: Yeah. So let's see. Um starting with starting with the easy. I mean, I, I think I've always been really passionate about our mission. And so channeling that passion into the role and um, my excitement and energy has has just been been really catalyzing for me personally, and and I hope for for my team. And we also have just a really unique culture at Flatiron and incredible people. This great foundation of talent and expertise and assets, and and so uh, we have an incredible foundation to build on, and 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 it's made it easy to do this work. And I think that's what draws me to. The journey ahead and, you know, draws a lot of our team members to want to be a part of it. Um, on the more challenging side, let's see. So so I think I mentioned this. I, I was never sure that I wanted to be a CEO and, and some of the challenges are expected and some are are kind of less expected for me. So, you know, one that I've been grappling with is just the the loneliness of kind of being the only person in the company that has one full vantage point across everything that's happening, and and you know no no one else in the company has that and and there's um, part of what made me successful at every step before this was getting really good at building consensus, and now my job is about solely owning and being accountable for the highest stakes. Least clear decisions that we have to make, and it's um, that can be that's a, a position of incredible, you know, privilege, but also uh, a. Uh, challenge it's hard it's hard it's only
0: at the top it's not a saying it's a fact and so you know most um senior executive level women they talk about um they talk about sort of their tribe so have and we also know that you know the um c-suite is often a male suite um and not as many women around those tables do you have a tribe do you have a set of people that you rely on outside of the company um, that help support you. What, tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Mentorship and sponsorship has been such a huge part of the journey because part of that challenge of loneliness is also just the one of, of patience and knowing kind of when to stay the course and when is enough and when to, when to make a challenge when something isn't working or sorry, when to make a change when something isn't working out as planned. Um, so you know i've been i've been really lucky to have men show up for me throughout my career as, as really incredible mentors and sponsors i you know started in a job at a at a company called juniper networks where i was one of the youngest people in the company and one of the only female product managers in a very tech led environment and uh, through my time since then i actually i haven't had the opportunity to work for another female leader um and and so i've i've both had the experience of of you know learning from and and being sponsored by by men and also the privilege of mentorship and kind of indirect learning from all of these you know incredible female mentors along along the way and i think there are two things that have really helped me personally in both of those situations i mean the first has just been focus on results and building a reputation as someone who delivers Someone that people want on their team, someone that people want to work for. Like, there's just no substitute in, you know, no matter who you are, no matter how you identify, for being someone who, uh, who can drive impact.
0: Um, yeah. re- results is not a gender thing. Results yeah. is results. And people yeah. who deliver results um, are going to get attention, sponsorship, and mentorship yeah. from um, the highest levels. I think that is um, an excellent point to make. You know, Carolyn, as we close out here on Inspiring Women, I appreciate this conversation so much. Um, as you think about, as you look back um, on you know, your career so far, um, which is, I would just say, a so far point in time, can you maybe just close out with some advice maybe that you received along the way that stuck out, um, for, you know, for you, that was helpful to you, um, on your particular career journey.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe the second half of what I was going to say, actually, cause I just don't want to leave that unfinished is, is results matter. But I think what is, um, has been uniquely important to me is also the human relationships that I've built around the way. Mm-hmm. and and I've tried to really focus not on being transactional in that setting but but being really vulnerable and open in my goals and in the support that I need whether it's from um no matter who it's it's from you know male female and and so you know it's often really hard to ask for help now that I'm in a position of privilege and power I see how much is how how more frequent it is that that men in my organization come to me asking for exactly what they need than the women and so I think some of that for me personally has stemmed from, you know, concern of, of not being good enough or concern about, you know, being vulnerable in, in, and in showing what I need. And every time I have kind of surmounted that and had a really open and honest conversation, I found it actually played out for the better. I was able to get more support. I built more trust. I felt more connected to that individual. And, and so they, I think, you know, personally, and then in you know how I've navigated the the complex environment that's been truly most important to me. So, is that the advice that you would you would give to others? Um, so, I think that's kind of advice in terms of of navigating uh, the the boys club, if you will. Personally, I, I I guess I would leave folks with follow your heart. The other thing I've noticed, especially over the last five years, is how much of my career I was fixated on doing what I thought I should do not what felt right and true for me. and it's very hard to sometimes, you know, cut out all of that noise. But I really believe if you find your passion and you're doing things that you, that inspire you, that kind of magnifies that good that kind of follows you and everything you do. And so for me, staying staying true to myself, um, staying true to kind of what gets me fired up to come into work every morning has, you know, each step of the way been the thing that actually unlocks new opportunities.
0: Well, I think that is um a great set of comments. We'll close out on that. And again, as I said, I'm rooting for you. You're in an important space. We need advancement in cancer care and we want that cancer moonshot to work. So this is Inspiring Women. I'm Lori McGraw. I've been speaking with Carolyn Sarah. And Carolyn, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Lori. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.